Hey everybody, quick note before today's episode, uh, I was having a little bit of technical difficulties with my microphone, so there's a little bit of static in the background whenever I talk, but hopefully you can get past that and gain some knowledge as you listen to the smooth, sultry bass of my voice. Anyway, enjoy the episode! Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind tabletop games. I'm Mike Riemann. And I'm Michael Sater. And on today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing themes behind the game After Nova. After Nova's fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we got to play test it. It's very different now, but it's on. Uh, it might actually be done with Kickstarter by the time we uh, release this. Sure. But it's a it's a negotiating game uh, where. You're going into a uh, after a supernova, and and you're flying around. You're scavenging all these planets that have really precious resources. That's true. Uh, the resources are are these little colored gems, and you can see on each planet card that it has this amount of resources, and you will need these amount of uh, uh, abilities to get them. Yeah, uh, and you you use these by by hiring what they call paws or these space animals. To, they're very adorable. Uh, to, to, but very uh, tough. But very tough. Super tough, adorable space animals. Um, to, to complete these blueprints uh, and to harvest these materials. It's a fun game. It's negotiating. It's a, a resource card game. It's pretty cheap and affordable if you get a chance. And uh, R2I Games, they're here in Chicago. Shout out to them. Uh, a lot of fun with this game. Um, backed it for sure. Uh, but if you, if this comes out after, sorry, but you can still get it. But eventually. yeah, you should go get the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in honor of that, uh, we'll be discussing some stuff about space. That's true. Uh, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the first human footsteps of the moon, I thought we would talk a little bit about space now. Space is a minor and easy to understand subject of something called. Science. Science. Now, that's something I'm not too familiar with, so you'll have to uh, give me a little bit more backstory on science. Well, we'll save that for another episode, but uh, <laughs> why don't we talk a little bit about how we see space? Sure, sure. Um, so you guys have probably have heard of something called the Hubble Telescope. Uh, and, the, and the Hubble uh, was a space telescope that was sent up a while ago. Still is. Still is a space telescope that was sent up a while ago, and we've been able to see a lot more just by that thing flying around uh, Earth. And one of its main tasks was to figure out the age and size of the universe. And now researchers know that the universe is about 13.7 billion years old. So in order to actually figure this out, scientists used uh, the Hubble telescope to measure the brightness of Cepheid variable stars. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, which is a special kind of star that pulses on a set cycle. These set pulsings make these kinds of stars ideal targets to help scientists measure great distances in the universe because they already know uh, the brightness of that star. So the Cepheid star will appear dimmer if it's farther away, giving researchers an easy way to gauge how distant its host galaxy is to the Earth. Um, and a little quote from one of the scientists, they say, knowing the age of the universe isn't just a matter of curiosity. By giving us a time scale for the development of the stars and galaxies, it helps us refine our models of how the universe and everything in it is formed. Wow. Yeah. Um, another thing Hubble did for us was that it showed us new moons of Pluto. It actually helped us figure out where we need to send the New Horizons probe. Yes, a probe. probe. Yes. Probe. Uh, yeah. So we sent the New Horizons probe. Um, which flew by Pluto in 2015, if you remember. It was a crispus... Crisp, crispus? 
Yes, uh, St. Crispin's Day. <laughs> the, the most clear photos of Pluto that we've ever gotten. Uh, and it was it was really amazing because um, we've never seen anything like this. But it was because of the Hubble letting us know about the five moons that are currently orbiting Pluto. Uh, it helped us figure out like where to send this telescope and, and the trajectory. So it helped us uh, figure that out. Another it was thing, a Crispus miracle. Chris, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, Crispus, Crispin, Crispin. Chris, Chris, the cider. Yes. Uh, another thing Hubble did for us, uh, they let us understand seasons on other planets, which is something, it's a fascinating thing to think about because you really only think about our four seasons. But uh, scientists using the Hubble telescope, they've been able to track seasonal changes on planets uh, like Jupiter's weather, for example, allowing researchers to see color changes in the bands of clouds uh, in the big gas giant's atmosphere. Uh, it also gave people on the ground an amazing view of a comet impacting another planetary body when comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 crashed into Jupiter in 1994. Uh, now, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is the planned successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. The Hubble will still be active, they think, until around 2025. But uh, the... Will it just run out of gas? Well, it's, it's, not, it's not really how space... I'll explain that later. Now... <laughs> Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope uh, will be launched in uh, in July of 2021, and it is a little different than the Hubble in a few ways. The first and the most primary way is that it is a telescope that uh, sees in red and infrared light instead of the Hubble seeing in ultraviolet and visible light. Mm, um, like a bee. Yes, quite uh, like a bee. Um, that's why they call it the James Webb Bee Space Telescope. That's not what they call it. Yeah, edit that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the James Webb Space Telescope will be able to observe some of the most distant events and the objects in the universe, like the formation of the first galaxies. Now, we can do this because the farther we look into space, the further back in time we are seeing because of how long it takes light to get to us. So we can see things like the formation of stars and planets that have existed for a very long time now. Now, we have to do this in infrared for a couple of reasons. Light gets redshifted as it travels through space and to Earth. What does that mean? Redshifting is the lengthening of the wavelength that light travels in. Uh, it can happen for a couple of reasons. One, it can get kind of caught up in gas and dust as it travels through space to us, and that can lengthen its wavelength. Or because the universe is expanding, the farther back we look, the faster things are moving away from us. So as they move away, the wavelength of light lengthens as it travels to us. So we see an infrared, which is one of the longest wavelengths of the light spectrum. When we look in infrared, we can see these things as clearly as if we were looking at them in visible light uh, by passing them through computer programs that help translate that image for our eyes. Interesting. It's, huh. it's very cool. Yeah. Oh. This way we can see back further than we've ever seen before, and ideally, hopefully, we can see how major universal bodies uh, were formed and created. This includes uh, 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 how we can look at how galaxies form. We are kind of familiar with this spiral galaxy um, and some of the elliptical galaxies, but these are much newer creations. Many of the very old galaxies that we can observe are kind of just big clumps, and we want to know how 
these things are formed, uh, whether it is uh, them bumping into each other and shaping, or uh, whether the longer a galaxy exists, the less organization it has, mm. which is uh, very cool. An another couple of differences uh, with the James Webb Telescope from the Hubble is that the Hubble orbited Earth at about half the distance to the moon. The James Webb Telescope will actually be about 1.5 million kilometers away from Earth in what's called the Lagrange point, and this is about four times the uh, the space from the Earth to the moon. <laughs> That's a fun Lagrange joke. Now, <laughs> there are four Lagrange points. This is from a mathematician named Lagrange who wondered if there were was a point in space in which the gravity from two different bodies would keep an object stable at this point. And there are four Lagrange points. Uh, one, or I'm sorry, there are five Lagrange points. One, two, and four are in line with each other, and three and five are at the points of the equilateral triangles that those create. We are putting the James Webb Space Telescope at Lagrange point two, which is the point at which the Earth and the Sun's gravity would keep that in stable orbit around the Sun. Um, and that stability is very important for knowing how we can point this thing at uh, very specific places in the sky. So would it be orbi orbiting the same... It would be... Or it would be staying still. No, it would be orbiting It would be the orbiting Earth. the sun with the Earth, with yes. With the Earth. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Um, that is what the Lagrange point helps it do, gotcha. is that point in space, it would keep it steady. Wow. I hope they don't screw that up, otherwise it's just going to fly right into it, the sun. That is a danger. It's going to take 30 days for the... Uh, space telescope after it is launched to reach this Lagrange point. Interesting. Um, but uh, we have some very talented people yeah. put it, putting it right there. Uh, like I, when I think about that, I'm wondering if the moon has any effect on that. Very little. The moon has uh, a mass that we consider relatively large here on Earth, mm -hmm. but it will have, uh, uh, I think, little uh, gravitational effect. Where the Lagrange point exactly. is. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. The, uh, it's going to be delivered there by a rocket, um, which is very interesting because this space telescope is four times the size of the Hubble Space Telescope. The Hubble Space Telescope has a single mirror that's a little over four feet in diameter. If the James Webb Telescope had a single mirror, it would be way too heavy to launch into space. So instead, it has 19 primary mirrors. That uh, so that it can fold. These are in hexagons that uh, are shaped. You know, it it folds up and fits into a five meter rocket, and then unfolds to about half the size of a seven thirty seven. Whoa, uh, which is very interesting. It actually has about an eighth of the mass of a seven thirty seven. Wow. Um, uh, but the uh, mirrors are made of beryllium, which is a very light element and coated in about uh, 100 nanometers of gold each so that it can reflect infrared light a little better and beam those images back to Does Earth. Does gold reflect infrared light better than normal? Yes. Uh. That, uh, uh, one of the best wow. uh, reflectors of infrared light. Um, and we use beryllium for lots and lots of things uh, because it is light, strong, and really good at holding its shape through temperature shifts, hmm. which is very important in space. Yeah, because... Space. Because space has a lot of temperature shifts, <laughs> very strong temperature shifts, and uh, we can use this new technology. There were there were uh, uh, like eight, I think, is is a good number to say really important new inventions just for this 
telescope. Wow. New ways of going about old problems just to solve problems for this telescope, which should be very, very cool. Um, and one of the things we can do is use it to look at these exoplanets, especially exoplanets that uh, exist within a habitable zone around a star. We can do this with uh, spectroscopy, which looks at how a planet passes in front of a sun um, and then how the light filters through that planet by the time it reaches us. Yeah, and so we're going to take a quick little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about exoplanets. Hi, I'm Beth Reinstein. And I'm Nora Chin. Do you like Harry Potter? Do you like other works of fiction? Then do we have the podcast for you. It's called Get Sorted. Where we take characters from famous works of fiction and sort them into their Harry Potter houses. Han Solo. Slytherin. Leslie Nope. Gryffindor. SpongeBob SquarePants. Hufflepuff. Nancy Wheeler from Stranger Things. Ravenclaw. And you can find out more by tuning in to Get Sorted. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, or wherever you get podcasts. Brought to you by Birdie Bots, Every Flavor Bean, a subsidiary of Weasley Incorporated. So the Hubble telescope was actually the first telescope to take an image of a planet in visible light. Uh, it was actually a large planet called Formalhot B, and it's about three times the size of Jupiter. Uh, and Mike already mentioned a bunch of stuff about the James Webb and, and how that's actually going to advance seeing these exoplanets. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the exoplanets we've already discovered because this stuff is fascinating to me. And in, in, in playing a lot of role-playing games and, and, and getting really into the theme of a game, it's really fun to think about these other worlds like actually existing in our universe and not in a fantasy world. Um, so uh, only about 40 light years away, uh, which is a stone's throw on the scale of our galaxy. So a couple of these planets, these exoplanets, uh, were discovered by the Kepler Space Telescope as well. This was sent out between 2009 and 2018, and it actually ran out of fuel. That's why I asked before. Sure, yes. <laughs> but this one actually ran out of, it ran out of gas, so it, it was stopped um, uh, taking pictures and, uh, and and discovering new exoplanets. But it did find a couple of them. Kepler-186f was the first rocky planet to be found within uh, this habitable zone. So one of these planets is Kepler-16b. It's like a real-life Tatooine to where the planet actually has two stars in its orbit. One is a very large star and one is a smaller, dimmer star, but it's known as a circumbinary planet. Did I say that right, Mike? You sure did. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, another planet that uh, Kepler found was Kepler-22b, uh, and and this one's really fascinating because it, it's, it's possible that this entire planet is just made of water. It's a water world Kevin Costner planet, which is very exciting to think, like, life started in water so what kind of creatures and what kind of like civilizations could be on this we have no idea now is that where they filmed Waterworld? that is where they filmed Waterworld, kepler 22b wow. mm -hmm. it was a big budget big flop at the box office but it was a very true to movie um in that sure dry yeah. lands a myth uh another <laughs> another exoplanet that they found is uh 55 cans cansgree cansry e 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that sure. sounds about right. Uh, it's it's a toasty world that rushes around a star every 18 hours. It orbits so closely, about 25 times closer than Mercury to our own sun, that it's tidally locked with with one of its faces constantly looking at the sun that forever blisters on the surface. So so if there is water. It's, it's in a super critical form that is both liquid and gas at the same time. And it's, it's thought to have an entire blanket of steam surrounding the planet. Cool which is steam atmosphere. Really cool. Yeah. And probably the closest one that they just recently discovered. So 12 light years away is the Tear Garden Star, Tea Garden Star, excuse me, which is the 24th closest star to our own sun. Uh, just to give you an idea, a single light year is the distance light travels in one year if it goes straight, which is about 5.88 trillion miles. And so 12 light years would be about 70.5 trillion miles. So yeah, it's it it's far, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. Uh, and they found two planets orbiting this Tea Garden star, and they called them Tea Garden B and Tea Garden C. Now Tea Garden B is the one that mostly resembles Earth. Uh, and according to the published, this published paper, the planet has a higher, highest Earth similarity index of any planet discovered, uh, with one being a perfect Earth replica. The planet scored 0.94 on this scale that they've discovered. So that's very, very exciting. Do you think we are currently recording a podcast on Tea Garden B? Do you think it's like Earth 2? Yeah, I think it's probably where they filmed that movie, Another Earth. Oh, wait, is that is that what it was? Another Earth? Mm-hmm. It's not Earth 2? Wasn't no. there Earth 2 too? That's possible. Hold on, wait, hold on. Is another Earth the one where the the planet just pops up in the sky one day? Yes. And, and, and the one girl, she's trying to struggle. Exactly, she wrote she the to essay to go and visit it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's called Another Earth. That's Another Earth. I think mm-hmm. there was Earth 2 as well, but I don't remember. That clearly wasn't Sure, Cruise Control, Earth 2, Cruise Control. Yeah, it's the one where Keanu Reeves is driving an Earth. Right. And he can't go underneath 70.5 trillion miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, well, of course. That's the one. Mm. <laughs> Love the net. John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that Mike's done dying, uh, what else are we talking about? Uh, well, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the pillars of creation, just because they're one of my favorite things in the universe. What are the pillars of creation? The pillars of creation are uh, three giant gas and dust pillars within a uh, really large nebula of gas and dust called the Eagle Nebula. And it was uh, observed that these three pillars kind of go against the magnetic fields of the nebula itself as if they have their own, Mm. um, which is very interesting. We first saw a photograph uh, from the Hubble Space Telescope of these giant trunks of gas. Um, If you haven't looked at this... Google it because it's beautiful. Please, yes, look up the pillars of creation. It looks like it's it's made CGI, but it's an actual image of it, something. Yes, um, uh, they're probably about seven thousand light years from Earth. They are named the pillars of creation because this gas and dust are in the process of creating new stars. However, they are being eroded by uh, the light from nearby stars that have recently formed. The most famous uh, image, of course, is taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, but there are a few pictures also from the Spitzer uh, Space Telescope that help us kind of form an idea of of what they look like and and what they do. They are named the Pillars of Creation. The name, the Pillars of Creation, is taken from this 1857 sermon uh, by Charles Spurgeon. 
And I just, I really love this, uh, this line when he's talking about the birth of Christ. And he says, And now wonder, ye angels, the infinite has become an infant. He upon whose shoulders the universe doth hang, hangs at his mother's breast. He who created all things and bears up the pillars of creation. That's awesome. It's very cool. It was recently theorized that because of some of these pictures from the Spitzer Space Telescope that the pillars of creation may have actually been dissipated uh, because of this appearance of a heated cloud that would be a cloud of dust that looked like a shockwave produced by a supernova. Uh, This would have happened around 6,000 years ago, and because they are 7,000 light years away, we would be able to see this destruction in about 1,000 years. However, uh, many astronomers actually believe that that hot cloud was not the shockwave of a supernova, but rather just a cloud of dust that was heated by winds from massive stars. A fart cloud. Exactly, just a little fart cloud in space. uh, So that the pillars of creation will actually undergo a much more gradual erosion as they they, uh, condense into stars. Uh, it's, It's very cool, this molecular hydrogen and dust that uh, uh, is kept by these weak magnetic fields that we can now see with some uh, uh, very, very powerful instruments condensing into the beginnings of star formation, which is a great clue into how the universe itself was formed. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, to go back to everything we were talking about before, it's uh, star creation. It's the only reason that we can see these planets and anything in space we judge it by the light of these stars and the lights that are coming out from explosions in stars right or supernovas or uh, uh and stuff like that and we're getting better and better at seeing those small things you know the reason we know about the pillars of creation is because they are about five light years long uh the smallest one is about five light years long the other two are slightly bigger but the tips that are currently in the process of star creation, are about nine times the size of our solar system. And so we can see these much bigger things a little easier, but we're getting better and better. The reason we're launching James Webb, the reason we have all of these spectroscopic instruments, is so that we can see very, very small things like our Earth. Very, very small mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the scheme of the universe. That makes you feel so tiny. It, it really does. Well, that's, that's a good amount of stuff. I mean, uh, hopefully that gets you more into the game of After Nova, mm-hmm. uh, since, since that is what we themed our, our episode on. And if you want to check out After Nova, I think you can go to R2I, r2igames.com and check out that game. But if you don't have anything else... I don't. Uh, I have one thing, but I don't know how many I can say. Uh, we had a fan ask us if we can read oh, all of Saturn's moons. I do I do have this to say. Um, I am not going to read off the some 300 uh, satellites that, that orbit Saturn within and without of the rings. Um, Coward. Yes, yeah, well, but I'm just going just gonna to run down uh, 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 a few things. One, just one fact, because I find it so interesting. Titan is the largest moon of Saturn, and of all of the mass that orbits Saturn, Titan takes up 96% of it. That's including all the rings. The rings and the smaller planets, or the smaller uh, uh, satellites that orbit Saturn, take up about 0.04% of the mass that orbits Saturn because Titan is so large. That's insane. And the rest is just our space junk. Yes. 
Of course. <laughs> so I'm just going to do uh, do it like this. All right. And if, and if you want to skip over this just to get to our end credits, uh, skip 30 seconds. Go. Titan, Rhea, Iapetus, Diony, Tethys, Enceladus, Mimas, Phoebe, Hyperion, Janus, Epi... Epimetheus, Prometheus, Pandora, Cianarch, Helene, Albiorix, Telesto, Pollock, Atlas, Calypso, Pan, Emir, Kivia, Katarvos, Igerak, Ereiapus, Skathi, Hirukin, Tarkek, Mindelfari, Narvi, Suttengur, Threemir, Bestla, Kari, S2007S2, Bebion, Skoll, you're over 30 seconds. Oh, all right, that's the most you can do in 30 <laughs> seconds. That's okay. Uh, all right, well, thanks for listening to Beyond the Board. If you liked what we did today, shoot us an email at beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. Uh, if you really liked us, though, hit that subscribe button on your iTunes or your Google podcast app, and uh, why don't you leave us a review? Leave us a little review. Yeah, tell us. It, it helps us uh, more than anything if you actually put some words down. It uh, gets us in their algorithm so more people can find us. Uh, if you want to find us on Instagram, you can find us at GoingBTB. We have some fun little uh, images that we post up there. Sometimes it's fun facts. Sometimes it's a cool little preview of what we're about to do um, the next week. Uh, and if you want to follow me, Mike Riemann, on uh, Instagram uh, or on Twitter, find me at 2pancakes, on Twitter at the2pancakes. And you can find me on Instagram at psychmater. Yeah, and uh, thanks to the Nerdalogs for hosting us on their podcast network. As always. And from beyond the board, we're, we're Mike. Mike. And out here, no one can hear you scream. This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. So the holiday... <laughs> <laughs> What a hullabaloo. What a hullabaloo. So the Hubble telescope was actually the first telescope to...